Corey came up to me, little man there, and said, hey, Ben, we need some real preaching up in here. Why don't you let me take over this Sunday? But he must have forgot all about that because I thought we had a deal. So you got me again today, huh? All right, little disclaimer before I start. Uh, we go through the scriptures today that we're going to study. There's going to be three things on your mind. The first one is this. Uh, did he really choose that scripture today? <laughs> the second one is this. I didn't know that story was in the Bible. And the third one is this. Am I going to be able to in any way apply that to my life? And the answer to all three of them is yes. Yes. So, last story in the book of Judges. Um, I know, I know, it's Easter season. So we're going to talk about hospitality today from the book of Judges. Hospitality. I know that when you hear that word, there might be a couple names that come to mind. Gladys, Sandy Schultz, people that are good at it. Uh, When that word comes to mind, there might be a couple names that you think are not good at that, right? Hospitality. Simple, everyday thing. Whoever said the Bible doesn't apply to everyday? Totally wrong, right? Hospitality. That's what we'll talk about today as we are gearing up for how Jesus approaches us on a daily basis, an every minute basis, and all that he does for us. And we're going to see a huge contrast in the book of Judges today. So let's pray first. God, help us to understand that every minute of every day is so important. And that when not cared for, every minute adds up to years and years. And those years and years can ultimately end up in brokenness if we don't care for the every minute of every day. Lord, I pray that as far away and as long ago and as unique and odd as this text is today, that we would clearly see how it does fit right into our everyday lives and that we could apply it accordingly. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hospitality. I am going to be in Judges 19, 20, and 21, if you want to follow along in your Bible, but I'll read it, first 10 verses. Here we go. In those days, Israel had no king. He has just talked about a Levite from Bethlehem in chapter 18, and now the writer of Judges basically says, and oh, now we're on the subject of Levites from Bethlehem. Here's a story for you. There was a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judea. But she was unfaithful to him. She became angry with him, and she left him and went back to her father's house in Bethlehem, Judea. After she had been there four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. He had with him his servant and two donkeys. She took him into her father's house And when her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the girl's father, prevailed upon him to stay. So he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. On the fourth day, when he got up early and he prepared to leave, the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh yourself with something to eat, and then you can go. So the two of them sat down to eat and drink together. Afterwards, the girl's father said, Please stay tonight and enjoy yourself. 
And when the men got up to go, the father-in-law persuaded him. So he stayed there that night. On the morning of the fifth day, when he rose up to go, the girl's father said, Refresh yourself. Wait until afternoon. So the two of them ate together. Then when the man, with his concubine and his servant, got up to leave, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said, Now look, it's almost evening. Spend the night here. The day's nearly over. Stay and enjoy yourself. Early morning to- or early tomorrow morning, you can get up and be on your way home. But unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went towards Jabus, that is, Jerusalem, with his two saddled donkeys and his concubine. There you have it. Did you get anything out of that? That's like a Seinfeld episode, isn't it? A story about nothing. I mean, how many times did we read, and so they sat down and ate and drank? (laughs) Right? Okay, this is all about the rules of hospitality way back in their day. All right, no cars, no mopeds, no vehicles. So you walked and journeyed everywhere that you went. And so there were these unwritten rules set up, social codes that if somebody came into your city who you knew was a foreigner or from a, you know, didn't belong, didn't live in the city, there was even a spot you would go and somebody was going to see you there, recognize you as a non-citizen of the city, and they would take you in. They would allow you to stay at their house that night. They would feed you. They would care for you. And this is what this story is about right here that we just read. It is introducing us to the everyday, all-day, regular life of people in that day. Hospitality were the, was the unwritten rules of the day. And if a town didn't take care of people who journeyed and stayed, then it got a bad name. And if people, citizens of the town... They would get a bad name if they didn't take care of this stuff. So this guy, this story is introducing us to the way things went and how it was important to take care of people. If you go over to the Middle East today, especially if you go to Dubai, that's on my bucket list, I'd love to go there, you will see that the people of that city will do nothing but try to make your stay overwhelmingly awesome. They still got this. We really don't. We are too well-fed, too lazy, too much comfort-seeking to be hospitable people here in America. You can throw the tomatoes. Go ahead, write the letter. But that's the way we are as Americans. We are snub and sarcastic and cynical And we can learn a lot from this story today. All right? So let's continue. They're on their way way towards Jerusalem. When they were near Jabus, that's Jerusalem. They haven't conquered Jerusalem yet, so it's still Jabus where the Jebusites live. And that day was almost gone. And the servant said to his master, Come, let's stop at the city of the Jebusites, Jerusalem, and spend the night. His master, this Levite, replied, No. We won't go into an alien city whose people are not Israelites. We will go on to Gabeah, which is in the tribe of Benjamin, so is Jerusalem. Come, let's try to reach Gabeah or Ramah, and then we'll spend the night in one of those places because those are Israelite people, our brothers. 
So they went on. And the sun set as they neared Gabeah in the tribe of Benjamin. There they stopped to spend the night. They went in and they sat in the city square. That's the area you go in hopes of someone coming out and say, Hey, where are you from? Where are you traveling to? Where are you from? Come on in. We'll care for you for the night. So they went to the city square, but no one took them in to his home for the night. Now, you and I might just read through that story. Oh, a little bad luck, you know? Well, you just expect to go to a city and somebody will say, ah, come on and spend the night. Total strangers, right? You can just crash at our house. In their day, that was a must. In their day, that was the unwritten rule. And so the fact that nobody in Gabeah is doing this for their brothers is not good on the city, okay? All right. The next verse, verse 16. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim who was living in Gabeah, read in, this is a guy who's not native, a non-citizen to the city, who's actually living there temporarily, He's the only citizen, even non-citizen, he's the only guy in town that says, come on in. So he's a foreigner to the city himself, but ironically, he's the only guy who's hospitable to these people. That's what we got to remember. He was from Gabeah. The men of the place were Benjamites. Come, came in from work in his fields. When he looked and saw the traveler in the city square, the old man asked, where are you going? Where'd you come from? And he answered, we're on our way from Bethlehem and Judah to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim. That's another tribe altogether where I live. I've been in Bethlehem and in Judah, and now I'm going to the house of the Lord. No one has taken me into his house. We have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves and our servants. Me, your maidservant, the young man with us. We don't need anything. And the old man said, you're welcome at my house. Let me supply whatever you need. That's the rule. That's the hospitality rule. Only, only don't spend the night in the square. So he took him into the house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. There's the eating and drinking thing again, the hospitality. So he said, just, you can come with me. Just make a deal. Don't stay in the square. Don't stay in the square. Why? The square was supposed to be the safe place where the citizen of the city would come and pick you up and take you in. But this guy says, no, you don't want to do that. Let's go. You don't want to stay there. All right. It's going to get PG-13 now. Do you know this story? It gets bad. All right, let's do it. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city of Gabeah, their own brothers... The ones who wouldn't take them in surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. Yes, it's in the Bible. (laughs) Yes, that's how wicked they were. This is obviously, without saying, this is what you paid for today, the opposite of hospitality, right? (laughs) To know them in the biblical sense. And the owner of the house went outside. And he said to them, No, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest and I'm trying to follow the hospitality rules, don't do this disgraceful thing. Look, here's my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now and you can use them and do whatever you wish. 
but to this man, he's my guest. Don't do such a disgraceful thing. But the wicked men would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine, sent her outside to them. and They raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and lay there until the daylight. All right, that's Judges 19. But it is almost a replica of Genesis 19. Do you know that story? It's the same story. It's the same thing that I just read right there. Only the guy inside the house is a guy named Lot. And he has gone into the city of Sodom. And he's a foreigner in the city of Sodom. And two men, who we know to be the angel of God, have come to Sodom to say, we're trying to check the city out to see if there's any worthy citizens in it that we would save the city. You remember Abraham said, don't, don't, if I can find 10 people, if I can find 50, if I can find 10, if I can find one guy in the city, would you save it? So it's like he was negotiating with God. So these two men come to the city to find and see if there's any good citizens who would at least be hospitable. I wonder... If Jesus came to America, or if he came to Carol, who and what would he find? I wonder if Jesus came to Carol, and he came to your house, what would he find? So it got so bad with Lot that the two men in the house, the angels, grabbed a hold of him. And threw him, dragged him back into the house for his own safety. Opposite of hospitable. Now, the irony here is this the only people who followed the rules of hospitality in these two stories were people who weren't citizens of the town, they were transplants to the town, they were foreigners in the towns themselves. And so they connected a little bit with the foreigners who came to the town. And we're looking for a little bit of hospitality, but could not find it with any of the citizens. There's a message here for you and I, friends. They are going to find out in a little bit, and they are going to come to the rude awakening. What has happened with our nation that these sort of things happen? How far have we come? How far removed from God and his ways are we that something like this would happen? That basic hospitality, everyday hospitality, has been thrown out the window. All right, let's continue in Judges. When the master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house, with her hands on the threshold. This is important, because in the story in Genesis, it also talks about the threshold of Lot's door. The threshold, according to the rules of hospitality, was the safety point. You didn't cross somebody's threshold of their door until they invited you in in their hospitality to cross the threshold. So in Lot's day, even the threshold was being threatened. Now, this concubine comes back, and she's been sent out and abused, And now she has part of her body outside and part of it across the threshold into the safety of the house. But look how he treats her. 
He said to her, get up, let's go. This is the good guy in the story. (laughs) But there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached his home, he took a knife and he cut her up limb by limb into 12 parts and sent them into all of the areas of the 12 tribes of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Think about it. Consider it. Tell us what to do. This is the rude awakening. Somehow, through this concubine, the story gets out to all of Israel, all the tribes, and they come together as a nation and say, golly, what have we done? Who are we as a nation? Man, it needs to happen in ours as well. And it did. You go back to the Civil War. Two halves fighting against each other, brothers, sisters, fellow countrymen, hating each other. And at the end, we have a relatively broken, broken country. Now, we've survived that. We get to see the same thing happen right here. All because people did not take care of the everyday moment. And that slackness ultimately results in brokenness. And you can see it. You can see it in your marriage when you don't care for it every minute of the day. You can see it in your relationship with the kids when you're too tired, right? And you can see it with God when you don't connect with him in the morning or sometime during the day to set the tone for your day. Eventually things just get a little bit stale. We're used to that. That's happened before. But then the staleness turns into some animosity and some bitterness. The animosity turns into some ultimate brokenness. Because we didn't care for the moment. So all of Israel says, this should not be. We need to take care of the people who are guilty of this as a deterrent from anybody else trying to do something like this again. We need to reestablish our moral code and our approach to our fellow man so that this kind of stuff doesn't happen in Israel anymore. Judges 20, then all the Israelites from Dan in the south to Beersheba in the north And from the land of Gilead, clear on the other side of the Jordan, they came together as one man and assembled before the Lord in Mizpah. The leaders of all the people, the tribes of Israel, took their places in the assembly of the Lord, the people of God. 400,000 soldiers armed with the sword. And the Benjamites, the bad guys, heard that the Israelites had gone behind their back to Mizpah. And the Israelites said, tell us how this awful thing happened. So the Levite explained the whole thing, what the men of the city of Gabeah had done. And so the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin saying, what about this awful crime that was committed among you? Surrender these wicked men of Gabeah so that we may put them to death and purge this evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites from their towns. They came together at Gabeah to fight against their brothers. 
Why do we do that here in the church? When can we figure out, hey, I've got to do today what prevents the brokenness of tomorrow? Why can't we be temperately loving people to our fellow man, our brothers and sisters within the church? Why? Why do we bring a competitive spirit into the church instead of loving and building up our fellow man? How can we have so much trouble with this? The Benjamites wouldn't listen. And so you have 11 tribes of Israel going to war against the one tribe, Benjamin. Brother against brother. I'll save you the story in the scriptures, but this is how it went. All 400,000 of the Israelites come to attack the 25,000 men, Benjamites, in Gabeah. And on the first day, they attacked the men of Gabeah of Benjamites came out and slew 5,000 of them. The next day they slew 18,000 of the Israelites. And so this ragtag group of Benjamites are taking it to the 400,000 Israelites. But then on the third day, they had a little different plan. The Benjamites came out of the city and they started to inflict the casualties on the Israelites like the previous two days. But then the Benjamites turned around and they saw Gabeah was on fire from another group of Israelites on the backside, and then they realized we're doomed, we're in trouble. And I'm just going to take up the story so you can hear how sad it is. The Benjamites had begun to inflict casualties on the Israelites, and they said, we're defeating them as we did in the first two days. But when the column of smoke began to rise from the city, the Benjamites turned, saw the whole city going up in smoke, and the Israelites counterattacked, and the Benjamites were terrified because they realized that disaster had come on them. So they fled before the Israelites, their fellow man, in the direction of the wilderness, but they could not escape the battle. Listen, and the Israelites who came out of the towns cut them down there. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and they easily overran them in the vicinity of Gabeah in the east. 18,000 Benjamites fell, all of them valiant fighters. As they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, the Israelites cut down 5,000 more men along the roads, and they kept pressing after the Benjamites as far as Gidom and struck down 2,000 more. If you're doing the math there, that pretty much wipes them out. On that day, 25,000 Benjamite swordsmen fell, all of them valiant fighters, But 600 of them turned and fled into the wilderness to the rock of Ramon where they stayed four months. The men of Israel went back to Benjamin and put all the towns to the sword, including the animals and everything else they found. All the towns they came across, they set on fire and destroyed. Chapter 21 is a transition. It says this, The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mizpah. Not one of us will give our daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. The people went to Bethel, which was also in the, the area of Benjamin, where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. Lord God of Israel, they cried, why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? And early the next day, the people built an altar and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. We call that... 
repenting. Changing our mind about things. And that's all because they see the utter destitute situation that they are in. And the destruction that has occurred and the brokenness that has ensued because they've forgotten God and did not care for the everyday minute. It's a story saying that hospitality broke down. The approach of the people of God, whom God had been so good to, now turned against their fellow man instead of building them up. That's everyday application. Where are you today in being mindful of the people around you rather than just on yourself? I know it's warm in here, and I know it's a weird story, but this means everything to us. With the kids, with your spouse, with your coworkers, everything underneath the roof of your home is cared for in the everyday minute. Can you come alive again? Can you break the ruts that you might be in? I come home every day and I open up a bag of chips to get a new taste in my mouth. Usually it's Doritos. I'm just wondering if I could break that rut just as a symbolic way of saying, Ben, instead of going through the motions every day, why don't you try to be mindful? Instead of being flesh-led, maybe you could be led by God. Doritos and a snack after work, just a small thing. But small things lead to big things. Minor decisions lead to major decisions. What I do with my thoughts every day turns into my actions every day. And what I do with everyday actions, be them small or large, turn into my destiny. What can we do differently? We can approach our fellow man like Jesus of Nazareth approached us. He didn't see heaven as something to be grasped or held on to, but he humbled himself. He took on the form of a servant, came to earth, and if that wasn't enough, he died on earth, a cruel death, and all of that was done out of his mercy for you and I. What can you do by way of sacrifice to be hospitable to your fellow man? And can you get lost in that mission instead of getting lost in yourself and continuing this charade of unhappiness and emptiness that might be pervading your life? Can you put your guts into somebody else and be happy and full of hope for once? That might be a little over the top. I know that you've got some hope. I know you probably have a measure of happiness. But can we get to purpose, fulfillment, and joy by just doing something different this week? Here's a story from the scriptures, odd as it may be, that it's going to tell us that what you do with the minute today is ultimately going to be played out in much bigger things in the future. What you reap you will sow. What you reap, did you catch it? 
I didn't say it right, did I? What you sow, you will reap. You're supposed to call me if you're listening. You're supposed to call me on those. We have totally underestimated this. Just as the Israelites did. And they come to the unfortunate situation ultimately at the end of it and say, what has happened to us? What has happened to us? That's literally what they say. What has happened to Israel? Why? Why should one tribe, all of our tradition as 12 tribes, our national identity, the coming out of Egypt and the coming to the promised land, our purpose, our fulfillment, everything God promised, why? Why is it now threatened? Perhaps there's that story in your life, maybe with a child, or maybe you've lost a loved one all too soon or too early, and you look around and you say, wow, why is this happening to me when it seems as if everybody else around me doesn't have to worry about these things? Or perhaps it's a divorce that's broken up the tradition and the purpose and fulfillment that you thought would come to your life. Why do these things happen? All right, it's a call to come alive again and be mindful of the everyday moment. It is a call to not be flesh-led, but spirit-led. All right, I will let you go. One more scripture. This is 1 Peter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude Because he has suffered in his body, he is done with sin. That verse is telling you and I, let's have the attitude that we are going to welcome some suffering in our life. Let's just prepare ourselves for what sacrificing for others is going to bring. It's not all going to be roses, but let's arm ourselves with that attitude right now so we can steal ourselves to actually do it because Jesus did it. As a result, the next verse says, he does not live the rest of the rest he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. That's what I'm saying. Let's not be led by the flesh. Let's be led by the spirit of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But if you've prepared yourself with the right attitude, that's okay. You're ready for that. But they will have to give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. The end of all things is near. Therefore, let's be mindful, he says. Let's be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray above all. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Arm yourself with the attitude that you're just going to love in a disinterested way without worrying about what comes back. That if good comes back to you, arm yourself with the attitude that you're just going to serve to serve because Christ did it and calls you to do it. Arm yourself with unconditional love. Love no matter the condition. Love even when the conditions aren't right. 
arm yourself because if you can do that, you can be done with sin. If you can establish the internal fortitude to do that, then sin is going to wane and its tendencies and its draw aren't going to be so much because you are fueled and full of the joy of what service has offered you. Don't forget. But it comes time to serve somebody and it comes time to love somebody and you might think it ain't worth it or it's too much effort or I'm too tired and we lose out on the joy that would fuel us to keep doing it more. And when there's no joy, then you and I are going to try to manufacture it in our life with something we shouldn't do to try to feel good or to try to feel some pleasure. And then we're going to manufacture more. And tolerance kicks in because I got to go an extra step now to make that same thing pleasurable again. Whereas we can increase our tolerance for taking abuse because we've chosen to sacrifice and we've chosen to love and God will steal us on the inside to be able to be people like his son. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever and ever and ever. And oh, if we could just get that down every day. You are called, friend. You are called. And whether you and I like to hear it or not, the book of Romans tells you and I, we are slaves to righteousness. We are slaves to our master to be righteous in his sight. Can we just accept that? Can we accept that we have a new master and it's not our flesh anymore? We are slaves to righteousness. Let's arm ourselves with the attitude that that righteousness is going to cause us to love our neighbor. You've seen the sign, right? Where God says, that love your neighbor thing, I meant that. (laughs) That's what I just read. That's kind of funny. There's a reinforcement. Someday we are going to give an account to our father, the righteous judge. He's a good judge. He judges impartially. And if you and I have done ultimately and put our emphasis on love, that love that you and I exerted and served other people with is going to cover the multitude of sins that you and I might have in our life. That's the key. You and I need to rethink our hospitality and our approach to our fellow men because we are the only example on this fallen earth of how there can be new life. That's all I got. Father in heaven, help us. In our tiredness, in our self-centeredness, Father, jar us loose from that before we have to face the ultimate destruction of what we read today. Lord, let us rise up as a people and be reminiscent 
and examples of your son and his attitude. Fuel us, Father. Fill our sails with the power and the joy that comes from serving others and loving others. This is our prayer today, Father, on this beautiful day that you have given us. God, you've given us so much. Your attitude towards us has been perfect. Let us go out. Let us do the same. In your name we pray. Amen.